Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. And after you finish this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. We'd love to hear your feedback. Cryptocurrencies might not be on your radar now, but experts predict their prevalence will only continue to grow in the coming years. I spoke with Congressman Warren Davidson, who represents Ohio's 8th Congressional District, on what that means for Ohio and the United States as we consider the long-term impact of digital currency. He told me how he became interested in cryptocurrency in the first place, the value in educating legislators on the topic, how we can harness it in the U.S., and more. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, so my first interest came when I was in manufacturing. I owned a group of manufacturing companies, and you know, inherently that meant a fair bit of international business. And so as we were sending wire transfers, uh, you know, initially you couldn't even wire direct to China. You would send stuff to Hong Kong to get to China and all this stuff. And there were big lags. And so you start looking at there has to be a better way. Uh, and that goes back to pre-Bitcoin days when you're talking about things like DigiCash. We never really used it, but you're just looking at it from a curiosity uh, standpoint saying, where, where's this going to go? And then Bitcoin came out and followed that really from the early days. Um, but when I got to Congress, you know, there still wasn't really much happening in terms of regulation from, from the House. So how did uh, that initial interest kind of work to you being more heavily involved in it? Yeah, so when I, when I, I got elected to Congress in 2016, and, you know, that was June of 16. And in January of 17, I became a member of the House Financial Services Committee. So given the jurisdiction of the House Financial Services Committee, you start looking at, you know, issue sets and who's working on what things. And there really wasn't um, somebody who was pushing hard on, on the crypto space. And in the midst of this time frame, that was where the initial coin offering uh, cycle was happening. Some good, some bad, you know, lots of people confused about what was a cryptocurrency. Is this really just regulatory arbitrage? Is this really going to be a thing? Is there just dominated by fraudsters and all that. And normally the solution is pass a law to provide clarity. And unfortunately in Congress, uh, we couldn't get that done. So that was uh, really how I started pushing harder on, on the issue. And can you tell me more about the Token Taxonomy Act? Yeah, so that bill came out of um, you know, that piece. So initially, like I said, you know, we were having hearings, we were pushing for Congress to take action and provide some sort of regulatory clarity and we couldn't even get hearings on you know, like the meat of the issue in terms of what's going on. We were having, you know, hearings where people were explaining, well, this is a digital wallet and this is how this technology works. And this is how you install stuff on your phone. And this is, you know, just so basic that we, you know, 15 years from now, we would get to the heart of the issue. So I said, well, I can't as a new member of Congress, you know, hold a hearing. I'm not a chairman of a subcommittee or anything like that. I've asked for them but I can at least book a meeting. So I booked a meeting in the Library of Congress in September of 18. And we st the goal was to get a dozen or so um, industry participants to come just share what they believe needed to be done. And that roundtable idea, you know, started growing. You started getting higher level executives. Uh, so C-level executives from, you know, the FinTech space, crypto blockchain space, their venture funds. Then you started seeing general counsels coming, CEOs, and 
you had everybody from, you know, uh, you know, ice NASDAQ to, um, Andreessen Horowitz, um, state street fidelity, you know, all coming. And then that created a giant buzz where every new startup in the space felt like their CEO needed to be there. And we had to cap it at 50 so that people could have meaning, meaningful participation. So the token taxonomy act came out of that round table where we said, okay, what did we hear from everybody? Let's put that into writing. But because so many people wanted to be there, we couldn't just take what we had at the hearing uh, or the round table. We had to, we had to, uh, have a call for papers. So the goal was originally like 30 days after it put out some sort of rough draft and it took all the way till December. So from September to December to get all the call for papers, wade through all the stuff that people wanted to share with us, we put a rough draft out. And again, the goal for that at the end of the Congress wasn't to move the bill because, you know, they sunset and have to be resubmitted in January, but it was again to have like a 30 day period where, uh, we would get comments from everyone and, you know, we had so much feedback on it that it took all the way till April uh, to, to distill all the feedback, meet with people to ask for follow up on it. And now we've got a, a token taxonomy act that has been out there since uh, April of 2019. It's totally bipartisan uh, and the list of supporters continues to grow. And you've mentioned kind of getting to the meat of things as far as cryptocurrency goes. And, and I think I imagine part of that is also education. How do you feel like you've maybe had to work with other legislators to kind of educate them about what cryptocurrency is and what it isn't? Yeah, so it's been very helpful in, in part because uh, in this time frame, uh, Facebook launched uh, their Libra initiative. And so that got a new level of attention. People thought, oh, wow. I mean, now it must be credible because a player as big as Facebook's talking about making a really big move. And in their case, they started talking about something that looks a lot like a currency, you know, a means of payment. It's backed by um, a bundle of currencies, all kinds of things. So uh, that fed the narrative that everything in the space is a cryptocurrency. And part of the whole point of the Token Taxonomy Act is to provide more clarity in language because many of the use cases have nothing to do with currency. They're, they're really uh, just a means of conveying, say, title or deed to a property or license to a software or you know, access to uh, a space, you know, a store of a record or you know, any number of things like that. So it's sort of like the internet, the whole idea that you know, the very first applications were going to provide all the use cases uh, isn't isn't really accurate. And so we've tried to say, let's be more precise in our language, but still, that's probably the biggest challenge to your point is in terms of educating members, cryptocurrency, not everything aspires to be a currency. Some things really are just securities. They're just digitized and using a blockchain to move this. And it has, still has a lot of the same potential, even as a security to disrupt uh, the way securities move today. And you mentioned Facebook and the Libra project, uh, which is another question I wanted to ask you. You wrote a November letter to the Wall Street Journal where you mentioned um, that some of your colleagues have uh, skepticism about the Libra project, but you wrote, I find their fear of blockchain and cryptocurrency short-sighted. Why do you think uh, their fear is short-sighted? Well, I think there are a lot of people in... Um in government that are used to the way things work today. We have uh, banks are overwhelmingly the intermediaries. The main, main gap is, is cash. 
and the banks essentially have been, uh, in a way, uh, deputized to spy on all their customers, and they have um, reporting requirements under the Bank Secrecy Act, uh, you know, any money laundering provisions, Gramm-Leach-Bliley uh, laws that say know your customer, all these things, money transmitters, the same thing. So when you move money today, there's an existing architecture that the United States uses, um, you know, frankly, to keep the country safe from terrorists, to enforce sanctions protocols, which are useful for us, uh, and also to just track crime, organized crime. And, uh, and so it makes people feel like, well, this threatens to undo it because we would have people in a digital way doing what they can do with cash, which is just like peer-to-peer -peer moving of money. We wouldn't have somebody sitting in between them and the person that they want to do a transaction with. And so uh, I think that's the core of it. And then if you go up beyond that, if everything looks like a cryptocurrency, there are people that feel like it even threatens to undermine the U.S. dollar as uh, frankly, the global reserve currency. And I think those fears are, are overblown. And the reality is, um, you know, it's not like you're going to make Bitcoin illegal. I mean, it's like, it's effectively as crazy as trying to ban the internet. I mean, there are countries that do, uh, and they do filter certain uh, content on the internet and everything else. Um, but at the end of the day, there's always a way that somebody finds around it. And uh, I, I think we should be smart about getting out ahead of the technology. Uh, and I think one of the, the, the best ways to look at this is France, when they had their, uh, you know, telecom with the French post office, they had email and messaging and everything else with a state-run system. Um, and it was considered cutting edge. But the U.S. went, you know, open source, internet for everybody, access for everyone, all these tech companies and the internet flourished in America, not in France. So I, I think if you look at that as a, as a harbinger of what could have come, trying to keep the government at the center of all of the control of this, uh, we're just going to get bypassed. And that's already underway. And that's another point. It reminds me of another point that you mentioned in that letter where you talked about doing everything we can to keep groundbreaking projects in the U.S. So how do you think that this like regulatory framework will support that, keeping these projects in the U.S.? Yeah, so great question. And, you know, a lot of the tech in, is in the United States because we did get it right in America on, uh, you know, the age of the Internet. We've been, you know, the home of some of the greatest tech, tech companies uh, going back, you know, uh, to IBM, right? Um, Microsoft, Apple, all the, you know, Cisco routers, the, all the infrastructure that it take, took to build the internet, including fiber optic cable, you know. Uh, and so we have all the talent here. And a lot of the innovation in blockchain is, is occurring here in the United States. But what they're running into is we don't have regulatory clarity. And the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is looking at a lot of these things as if they're securities. And that scares off all the capital. It makes the ability to go peer to peer almost impossible. And so they just say, well, look, I mean, we're still an American company. We have Americans, but we're actually going to launch this in Switzerland or Singapore, Malta. I mean, you name it, any number of places that have, you know, really established rule of law. So they're not fleeing the United States to avoid our laws. They're fleeing the United States with their capital. Uh, to launch these projects where there is clarity 
that provides certainty. The SEC's approach is literally on a case-by-case basis, come talk to the SEC. If you want to launch a company in this space or an application in this space, come talk to the Securities and Exchange Commission, and we can work with you to give you a no-action letter. And they've only issued two. I mean, there's hundreds, if not more, uh, stacked up at the SEC waiting on a decision. And I said to us, Chairman Clayton, I mean, this has all the charm and efficiency of third world power structure. You know, you go sit and negotiate your own individual deal with El Jefe. You know, I mean, this is not an efficient use of capital and people just aren't going to do it when they can find uh, the clarity they need outside the United States. And I think you've touched on this in some of your answers already, but in these efforts to to educate others about what cryptocurrency and blockchain is, to keep um, these innovations in the United States, what roadblocks do you anticipate? Well, so the internet was partially able to flourish because it was kind of a blue ocean thing. There was nobody really occupying lots of that space. People didn't really get how dramatically it was going to shift. Um, and so there weren't a lot of incumbents blocking uh, the use of the internet. Uh, in 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 this case, uh, there are incumbents at every level. So these companies are essentially going up against very established, very well-funded uh, market participants, whether it's the biggest banks, um, you know, the regulators of the biggest banks, including the Federal Reserve System, um, the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, the exchanges that trade shares. If you just wanted to look at a different way to trade shares, uh, if you look at Municipal bonds, there's a great use case in that space, um, but you know, getting the underwriters that are making a lot of money off of the current bond underwriting system to go to a blockchain system that allowed a much more efficient way to disrupt um, is a threat to the status quo. And so people will work hard to protect uh, what they've built over time. And, and that so far is winning the day. We're not able to move much through Congress. And even through the SEC, I mean, Hester Peirce has been incredible, but, you know, barely moving the needle overall for the SEC as a body. And what would you say is your your long-term view of how cryptocurrency will impact the United States and taking a more local view? What do you think it means for Ohio? Yeah, so the, the real question is, will we get it right? And so China is going very aggressively with uh, with crypto as well, and their version keeps China at the center. It's a centralized control system. Um, it uses distributed ledger to provide traceability and accountability in an economy that is rapidly shifting from cash-based to uh, digital payment systems like you know WeChat, WePay, and uh, Alipay. Um, and it it wants to exert that system of control. They've built this vast facial recognition system where they know the identity of everyone. They can follow all the moves. And, uh, and, and in, in a way, um, you know, you can think of, you know, for people that are familiar with Lord of the Rings, you know, there was this uh, fictional uh, story uh, where Tolkien described uh, this, you know, fantasy world. Uh, and there were these different groups of people and they all had rings. But then the evil, uh, evil person, Sauron, created one ring to rule them all. And that's even when somebody good came into control of this powerful ring, uh, it corrupted them. And in a way, that's what happens with centralized control. And that's really the version China wants to launch and the version that a lot of people are comfortable with in America. And I think 
our system of open open society and you know a, a democratic republic with uh, civil liberties protections is conducive to the kind of distributed ledger that was envisioned with Bitcoin, which is you know a, a truly distributed distributed decentralized ledger uh, where peer to peer transactions can happen without an intermediary. And if we get that right, I mean, the amount of flourishing that's going to happen in the United States is tremendous. And the amount that we can do for underbanked people around the world is incredible. I think when you think about the use cases, um, you know, we're well into the age of the internet now. Um, you know, I, I was first learning the internet while I was in college. I mean, GopherNet was what we had at West Point in the 90s, uh, early 90s. And then we come out and, okay, it's starting to have, you know, functional functional internet sites by the mid 90s. And now, you know, you're not even remotely tapping all the use cases for the internet. We're in the very earliest stages of blockchain and the underlying technology that um, creates this architecture for Bitcoin is blockchain. The use cases for blockchain are, are you know, you know, it's going to be on a scale similar to the internet. And so you go 30 years on from uh, blockchain and if if we get it right and allow this technology to flourish in the United States, we're going to be looking at all the use cases and go, wow, I can't really believe we did it that way. This is so much more efficient. And uh, Ohio is leading the way with a number of these companies. Uh, you know, our auditors are working with uh, startups that are trying to track, you know, movement of property and titles. So if you look at, you know, title companies for properties, think of all the intermediaries that go on in a mortgage and all the friction costs, uh, that go on with it. If you had a distributed ledger that could move uh, swiftly with fewer intermediaries, less cost uh, and you know, you go on from there. There are uh, exchanges. There's a great exchange that's uh, growing in Cincinnati. So Cincinnati's uh, working with, uh, with Cleveland and uh, working to stay ahead of Cleveland. Cleveland wants to have this thing called block land there. Uh, some great uh, folks doing uh, interesting stuff and, whole tech hubs going on. Cincinnati's trying to be crypto natty and having all kinds of things. And of course, Columbus is a big anchor with all the uh, academic body there. And, and all through, I mean, I've got a, a, a company in the district in Eaton, the, one of the most small rural counties in the, in the state uh, with blockchain startups. I think if you go from there, like how's this gonna change for Ohio? Think about how the U.S. economy has benefited because we got the internet era right. All these jobs that are here in the United States of America, the internet would still be a thing uh, if it flourished in Singapore, uh, but it wouldn't be as big a thing for America. Uh, and technology is still going to disrupt the economy. Uh, it's still going to disrupt all these things. The question is, are we gonna be able to have the jobs and the architecture that influences where this goes if we don't get out in front of it. And, you know, there, there's really only upside by moving uh, to get out in front of this. And the right way to do that is to pass a law and not just hope regulators get it right or some patchwork of judicial rulings somehow creates a coherent framework in the United States. Congress really does need to pass a law and provide some sort of level of clarity. Thank you to Congressman Davidson for joining us to talk more about cryptocurrency. Let me know what you thought of this episode at Jay Salerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O, at ohiocpa.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast app. Thanks for listening.